0: If you're one of the people that love this show, make sure you go over to holyfoolproductions.com and check out our home. You can read articles. You can see my personal journals straight out of the typewriter. You can see the weekly link roundup of all the interesting things I run across. You can see drawings. You can see books recommended for the book club. Or if you're like me and you like things simple, you can just have it sent right to your inbox by signing up for the newsletter, which goes out almost every day. And of course, you can help support this show through either monthly subscriptions or generous one-time donations, all at hoyfoolproductions.com. You were worried about your dog making noises during this recording? I didn't think, and I gave my dog a bone right before we started. So yeah, we're probably going to have dog noises.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it'll be me like freaking out when he pisses. Mm. He's a
0: puppy, so he's still in that potty training stage, huh?
1: Yeah, he's got to go like every hour and a half.
0: Oh, geez. I lucked out in some ways. This guy's three, but because of that, I also have like bad habits I have to outlearn. So in some ways you lucked out.
1: (laughs) He has bad habits or you do?
0: Well, probably both. Let's be honest. But I mean the dog.
1: <laughs> Your dog's going to retrain you.
0: Well, he's... Um, I don't think he was socialized properly. So he didn't... Like he'll growl and snap at people. Mm. And he doesn't know. So I've had to, I've had to take him to classes. And you know, like, okay, humans are okay. They're not going to murder you. You know? Right. He's great I, with me.
1: I'm trying to like just have another, another good dog like how Jackie was. And so i've just had to meet so many people and even though he doesn't have all the shots yet i bring them out a lot and just like hold them the whole time
0: holy god how many shots they
1: need too i didn't even realize it's crazy and that's not that's just like the minimum
0: yeah it's like border tella, and then the one for drinking puddle water and then i didn't even know they got influenza he got influenza last week i'm like i didn't know you had to give them flu shots
1: yeah dude it's crazy
0: well it's funny because i was going to ask you i'm like did you did you get this one to replace Jackie in a way?
1: <laughs> well, it's been almost a year and I just realized there's like a dog-shaped hole in my heart. So I know. One.
0: Oh, was she 18? She had to be like 18, right? She was 17. 17. Okay. I was trying to do the math in my head. I'm like, you and I have known each other, I think, 20 years and you got her like two or three years after we first met each other.
1: Yeah. And she... Um, yeah, she was 17 and then... I'm trying to, what was I just going to say? I got distracted. Sorry. Yeah, she, she was like the only thing that never changed in my whole life. You know, that 17 years, like different relationships, different jobs, different places to live, different everything, different bands. And that dog was the only like constant.
0: it's weird. Like I've, I've been sitting, I've been thinking about that um, when I'm looking at him and I'm going, you know, like in 15 years, you're still going to be here. And it's just yeah. kind of a weird thing to conceptualize
1: you That's know not something you think of when you get a dog like how different you're going to be in 10 years.
0: Well, I think a lot of people unfortunately um they think of pets as like possessions, right? You know like oh, I'm bored with this toy and then they get rid of them. And I've never I've never felt that way. I feel like it's a responsibility. You know like this is a life that I'm taking in. You know you wouldn't get rid of a child.
1: Right? Or when like oh, I moved and my landlord says I can't have a dog, so like buy a family member.
0: Yeah. Here, let me let me pawn this off on somebody else. This guy, he got, I mean, maybe this is a little bit of a different story, but he's been returned three times before, but it's because of the snapping. And I think probably they had kids. Yeah. I can understand that. But like just ditching, you know, like the cat that I had, um, hopefully the person (laughs) that gave me the cat's not listening, but uh, the person just like, I don't want this cat anymore. And then that's how I got the cat that I have.
1: I'm bored of this cat. Well,
0: they got a, I guess they got a new cat and they're like, oh, they don't get along. So we're going to get rid of the old one and keep the new
1: one. And there's, you know what? It's it's usually like such a simple solution to like, oh, just, I don't know. Like they, they need some weird thing. Like they just need to take a walk together, you know, with dogs. At least that's how
0: it is. I can't remember who was telling me this. Um, they said that their grandmother used to squirt cod liver oil on the backs of two cats that wouldn't get along in a place where they couldn't reach it. So they had to clean each other.
1: Oh shit! I was like, "That's pretty smart."
0: Grandma got some
1: tricks there. Yeah, and I, because they think so differently than we do. Like, once you've, once I've licked your, well, I guess if I licked your back, we'd be friends, you know. I am like
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd be more than friends at that point. <laughs> uh, there's, there's been many things that, that we've done, like pee inside of mailboxes together, but I don't think that's one thing that we've ever done.
1: <laughs> oh my god! Did we pee in? Uh.
0: <laughs> it was that. It was not mailboxes. Right? things. It was a Metro box, Metro box, Metro mm. being a magazine for anybody who doesn't know. Back yeah, when well. we were young and full of liquor.
1: I hope they're not listening. <laughs> it was a long
0: time ago. I don't think they have the same staff anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Dan. They they still have the same owner.
0: <laughs> well, that's, you know, it's, it, that actually brings up something interesting. Lamb um, mm-hmm. and I have been talking about this a lot on my other podcasts, and it's come up on here a lot. And I think it comes up in the news a lot, you know, this um between the Kavanaugh thing and then this Northam thing. This this whole idea of like the past coming back to just like shit on people in the present. You know, yeah. regardless of what they do. It is kind of weird that we don't accept that anymore. That you know, like, oh I fucked up when I was younger. Guess what? Your life's ruined now.
1: Yeah, and, and I feel really bad for the new generation of people who have literally like they've documented everything everything they've done down from like what they had for breakfast to, you know, sending nudes around and just like I did, I did things. We all did things in our younger years that like, I can't even believe that was me, you know, like not, not like I'm not taking responsibility for it, but like, like just now I hadn't thought of peeing in a mailbox or anything ridiculous like that. And I can't even imagine myself now doing that, but it's, I feel so bad for people who are, you know, like social, active on social media right now and posting how many, uh, when, when, you know, 10 years from now, maybe they're going to bring up a political candidate. It's like, we show that you drank at parties, you know, 50 times that year. Like,
0: right. It's, it's like just nothing's nuts. forgotten.
1: And, it's, it's- and at what, what point, like, does accountability turn into, like, you can try to get ahead of it and say, oh yeah, I did this one thing that was bad. But even that doesn't seem acceptable anymore.
0: I mean, youth, the whole point of youth, I mean, I guess I'm I'm projecting my own opinions onto uh, biology here, but it seems like the whole point of youth is you fuck up and fuck up and fuck up so that you learn not to do those things later. That you're supposed to make mistakes when you're younger because that's how you learn to be a better person. That's how you learn to be a better part of society by doing things wrong
1: absolutely I mean that's that's how like you touch something hot before you know not to touch something hot, you know like you' you have to make mistakes they can even biologically say, oh, at this age you're gonna start branching out and doing things your parents don't want you to do like it's it's it is a biological thing,
0: and society does it too, you know society has to mature and grow too, you know like if you go back and watch old Eddie Murphy stand up, really homophobic, yeah wasn't a big deal then um doesn't mean it didn't offend gay people, but nobody was, society wasn't smart or mature enough to understand. And you have to accept, you know, like nobody's pulling Eddie Murphy stand up and going, you were a shit bag. It's like, yeah, you you were doing it, comedy.
1: It's, it's only a matter of time though. I mean, it, it seems like if you survive long enough to, to be outdated, you'll get shit on for it.
0: Well, oh, yeah. Look at, I mean, you know, at first I was really bothered by the Louis CK thing. And then I started finding out details. Like, first of all, he wasn't... Everybody's like, oh, he was using his position of power to assert on people. The time that he did it was like 10 years before he got famous. So he was like a fucking nobody. And and he was asking people. Now, granted, weird, weird behavior. And I can't watch a stand-up now without thinking of him uh, jerking himself off. But at the same time, it's like, it's not what everybody said it was. So I don't know how I
1: feel about that one. I, I, that I I got really offended by the well, offended. <laughs> I got, <laughs> I'm bothered by the Louis CK thing. Um, I didn't even know that detail that he really wasn't. I mean, if he was like the headlining act and he did something to someone who was, you know, on tour with him and obviously like if she didn't do what he wanted, then he had the power to kick her off the tour. Like, right. I guess you, you could break it down that way, but, um, you know, as being someone who has been lonely on the road before. Like I'm not making an excuse for anything he's done, but I, I could totally see how people act in in a way that the 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 future will deem it un, inappropriate. You know, when when you're in especially in your like living backstage life, like everyone's doing weird shit all over the place.
0: Yeah, I think that there's especially with people in the spotlight, there's an expectation for them that's different. Um You know, I should say that it's not different. It doesn't take into account the strange circumstances of the circumstance that they're in. You know, like being a famous movie star, you're going to be put in situations that the person who just lives their life, goes to work, goes, buys groceries at Whole Foods and drinks coffee at Starbucks every day does. They're going to be put in situations where weird shit can happen, you know, or that weird shit will happen or that you're so separated from that life of Whole Foods and Starbucks every day that okay why why can't i do this you know like michael jackson for example um (laughs) not not to (laughs) go into the whole thing yeah but the the video remember the video i can't remember i think it was leave me alone was the name of the song where he's on the roller coaster and it's all about fame it's all about how everybody's always watching him and uh there all this it had like pictures of all the tabloids of all the crazy stories they said about him, like he bought the elephant man's bones and uh Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That he had sex with his monkey and all of the I don't think that's in the video, but you know, those were rumors that were around. He was famous his whole life. So he had no idea what it was like to be a quote unquote normal person. So the circumstances of his life and who he was were completely divorced from the average person and you have to wonder after you know 30 40 years of that like what kind of i I know like if i spend 10 days in a house alone i become a real fucking weirdo what do you become after 30 40 years of isolated from the average human being
1: well not not only isolated but yeah like all the eyeballs on you and the, the unlimited resources like i get pretty fucking weird with zero resources imagine if i could just do whatever i wanted to do like
0: right Yeah, if you had, you know, like, oh, I'm going to build... What did he build? A zoo? I'm going to build a zoo in my house. Why? Because I can. I would do that.
1: Which just (laughs) adds to more speculation about, you know, what's this man doing with this zoo? Like, trying to lure kids to his house?
0: Yeah, so we're always picking at people, trying to find, you know, these horrible things. Like, I just watched... Have you seen Won't You Be My Neighbor? The Mr. Rogers documentary? Yeah, it was great. Oh, my God. But then even that guy who was... As far as we can tell, probably one of the most perfect humans ever seemed like he didn't make any mistakes ever. still, people were speculating that he was gay, um which there's nothing wrong with that, but at the time it was like a big scandal, so if they could pull it out, it would be like an awesome thing, or the people who were freaking out that like he had he'd ruined a whole generation by telling them they were special, like even that guy got shit and controversy
1: it's so weird yeah we're in, we're in a strange time, and I'm afraid it's only going to get uh It's going to get stranger and stranger until, I mean, I I feel like we're starting off by like being apologists to people who've done bad things, but at some point, like if everyone's always right, you got to believe everybody for um, every accusation and everything like that. I I do think that um, it's going to come back and start biting people.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, that's a real big problem there too. It's like you, if you want to talk about what I think, what you and I are actually talking about um, is we're talking about compassion and empathy and understanding that people are in different circumstances and the fact that people would automatically jump on that and say that uh, being an apologist for um, people who do bad things first of all I'm, I'm i'm not apologizing for anybody doing bad things i'm just saying they're going to happen and if we don't um, if we don't accept the fact that bad people do bad things sometimes doesn't necessarily make them bad people then we might as well just execute everyone because yeah. we
1: we're all going to make mistakes. It's it's that the I think the theme you're hitting on is, um, like, just the guaranteed fallibility of of youth. Like, you're going to make mistakes, and, and then and then how is thirty young? Is forty young? I feel like 40 is pretty young, and I'm still making huge mistakes all the time. Totally,
0: I feel like I'm just finally learning how to be a human being.
1: Yeah, I mean. Um, I, I, I hate to pause you, but and this is a dog related thing. <laughs> he's, he's eating a very expensive hat. One second. Oh man, this this is definitely like parenting practice for me.
0: <laughs> I know. Tell me about it. Um, is he a chewer? Does he chew a lot of stuff?
1: He's an uh, Australian cattle dog, so he is known to be you know super super energetic very curious and and yeah they love to chew things they love to bite your feet when you're running by
0: try to find these things they're called uh himalayan dog chews this is what my dog's chewing on right now it's like it's basically a piece of cheese but it's almost as hard as an antler so it takes them like four or five hours to get through the whole thing if not more and it's really healthy for them so it keeps them pretty occupied, but it's also like good for their gums and everything too, because it's so hard.
1: That's probably better than handing them a bull penis like I did.
0: <laughs> yeah. I started off with a Buffalo, Buffalo lingaments or whatever, and it just sounded like chipping plastic. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I want him chewing that stuff.
1: Yeah. These things are actual, uh, bull dicks though. Bully sticks. Yeah. It's Which always is... weird to me. I, I hand it to him. He loves it, but I'm just like, I just handed the dick to my.
0: Here, chew on this.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when I run for office in 2042, uh, I once handed a severed penis to my dog.
0: Yeah. See, that's the scary thing, right? You're know, like these people that are, you know, just teenagers right now have to think about what am I going to be in 30 years?
1: That's impossible.
0: And it's completely impossible. I didn't, I would never have guessed that I'd be doing podcasts. I hate talking on the phone. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm, I'm fairly introverted. So like, it's kind of strange, but here I am, you know, like, who knows?
1: Um, well, when we met, I mean, how would we have known like everything that's going to happen to us in the next 20 years?
0: Right. I mean, that's one of the things, like one of the weird things, you know, you and I had talked about like how I kind of like, I put off like having you on the show because there's sort of awkwardness in knowing so much about someone. That you're like, well, what do we talk about? You feel weird about certain things and you start overthinking it and then you put things off and then it just, it's, it's, sometimes it's easier to do this with strangers because I can yeah, just. Absolutely.
1: absolutely. It's just like with playing music. If, if, uh, you know, I gathered, you know, people like you that I've known forever and everyone got in a room and I had to sing in front of everybody that, that'd be way more nerve wracking than, you know, playing in front of thousands of strangers
0: Right, I've seen you on stage countless, countless times. I've seen you do karaoke twice,
1: once with yeah. It's, it's 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 kind of a new passion, though. I, I've been doing it lately. It's fun. Have you? It's it's like skydiving for me. It's it's terrifying, so I do it.
0: <laughs> That's kind of what this is for me. Every even this, even today's, I get nervous before them. I always think about um, Ryan, how he always gets stage fright, even still today. And I think about back in the cactus days when you guys would get stage fright together and you'd be That's, across the street in the bathroom at the
1: Billards. That still happens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh you guys were when you were said you were recording, was that was that for Strata?
1: Um, I I I went through a little bit of a a moment. Um it's funny you brought up the Louis CK thing because for the past two years, I've I've been focusing a lot of my time and effort on political stuff. And um, I kind of decided to take a, a step back from it uh, last month. And my last straw for me was, um, you know, the group that I am a member of and that I'm one of the leaders of was helping to organize a protest against Louis C.K.'s performance. And that I was embarrassed of that. Like, I didn't feel good about that. I I, um, just decided that, you know, I'm going to go back to, I'm going to reactivate both of my bands and I'm going to start painting more and I'm going to work on my book and just kind of refocus my life back on like the, the things that, that make me happy, you know, um, which is a strange thing for me to say that like making art makes me happy because uh, over the last few years, that's really what I've had to retrain my brain, like as a happy person, how do I remain creative when, when it's not all catharsis? Um, so yeah, I, I, I was recording with, um, geo with limousines and I've been recording with Ryan and Harag and, uh, Johnny with, uh, strata. So both of them are active and I'm not more or less excited about either of them. I'm just excited to like be a musician again, I guess.
0: Oh, man, there's so many different, different actions we can go right there. First yeah, of all, so... let, well, since we, we started with the politics, let's let's clear that up. And then when I want to really go into art afterwards. But um, when you said you were embarrassed of that, just because like it's uh, the Louis C.K. protest, is it just because like it, this is my perception um, standing outside and guessing? But it's like this idea of censorship, you know, like censoring someone, you know, like we don't accept you here anymore. Was that what was embarrassing about it?
1: Um, Well, uh, leading up to the elections in 2018, everyone was very focused on helping candidates that they liked. And it was that political involvement. I was was designing stuff for campaigns. I was knocking on doors. I was, you know, organizing events. And after the election, I think that everyone kind of started to refocus on their, I won't call them pet issues, but their less um, general, you know, more specific things. And... You know, the people in my group are focusing on like, let's get everyone to be vegans for the environment and let's protest Louis CK because, you know, of what he did. Like, I can't say I disagree necessarily with those things, but I didn't see it as like the way that I wanted to spend my time anymore. Um, You know, like in 2020, I'm sure I'll be actively helping somebody win an election. But until then, I I needed to focus on my myself.
0: I know Lamb said that his involvement in everything has just kind of burned him out That's it's just exhausting.
1: It really it really is and I and anyone who's able to keep doing it. I did it every, I was helping to run these meetings every Tuesday for 2 years and I just started realizing you know, I'm I'm missing out on time with my family um I, as an artist and as like a a designer the only money I have to pay my rent and my bills is, is money that I go out and find and that I hustle for. Uh, I, if a work week is five days, you know, one day, Tuesday is 20% of my work week. And if I'm volunteering for that, you know, and I'm, I'm not making money that 20% of my work week, I'd rather it be sitting on my kitchen table, uh, you know, doing demos for, for band stuff. You know, I'd rather be, um, Volunteering for myself, I guess. I don't
0: know. No, that totally makes sense. I mean, at a certain point, I mean, we all have these reserves, but you know, it's like that oxygen mask thing on the airplane. You got to put yours on first because if you don't, you'll be dead and you won't be able to save anybody else.
1: That's 100%. It. I mean, I, I, I wrote this super long message to my people and, and who I love. They're like family to me. Um, but I didn't want to discourage anybody. I don't want to say, like, hey, I'm burned out and you should be too but it really was that it's like, if, if I'm losing myself so completely in this like fight against Donald Trump, then he's already won. I don't even have to keep fighting anymore. He already won. If, if I wake up every morning and that's all I can think about, you know, and I'm, and I'm driving myself financially into a hole because I'm spending too much time volunteering, then I've lost before I've even had a chance to win. So it's it's absolutely that that's a great analogy, the oxygen mask.
0: There's a certain sense of you know, like for me, I've 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 felt it pretty much right away, where I'm like I can't look at this stuff, just because it, it, there's um there's a podcast called Weird Studies. It's these two professors, um, just fantastic conversations about literature and art and sometimes like the paranormal. Um, but in one of them, they quoted a friend and they said that uh, Donald Trump poisons everything he touches even his critics and i thought that that was a really whether whether people listening um like him or not um i thought that was a really great metaphor of the idea of what happens when you overfocus on the news and politics that the thing that you're fighting against somehow infects you and starts to eat at your life and i, I just think that that's a really really strong metaphor because that's how i felt I'd read the news and I'm like, I feel like I feel like a, like I'm always anxious and I'm always angry. And then, how am I treating people around me while I'm feeling like that? What am I doing with my life?
1: Exactly. It's a, it's there's a right now there's a daily outrage cycle on both sides, and people are addicted to participating in it. And I found I, I feel happier and calm, and I feel healthier like having removed myself a little bit from, I'm still paying attention. I'm still, you know, informed, but I, I have to be away from the people who focus on it so much. Right. It's, it's it's terrible. I feel guilty, you know, for, I feel like I abandoned some people or whatever, but I also have to think that anyone who's been following my art and music career all these years, like I've sort of abandoned them over the last couple of years by Deprioritizing creativity.
0: Right, and they're both such high focus things that it's, I mean, I would say it's probably I, I, virtually I, I, impossible.
1: I, it's so hard for me to exist in both worlds. Um, it's almost the division of like poetry and math for me, like politics and, and music. And I don't want to write songs about Donald Trump. Um, so, but I do want to write songs. So that means I have to start living and thinking about other things if I want that uh, subject matter to creep into my work. Yeah, there's this
0: unfortunate side effect of um, paying attention to the news too much or focusing too much on social media is that you get caught up in um, daily dramas. You know, things that in three days will be gone that maybe don't even turn out to be what they seem to be or whatever. And you don't want to be creating from there because then you're creating a song that's worthless a week later that nobody has social contacts for later.
1: Yeah, yeah and, I, and I feel like the daily dramas are sort of like if you're a reader who only reads tweets or only reads blurbs and articles versus someone who reads, you know, epic novels, um, or if you only watch YouTube clips but never films, you know, there's there's long format uh, plots going on in the world right now. And most of them are probably in your own personal life. But if you're ignoring them, then you're missing out.
0: Yeah, I've been reading Kind of uh, say I've I've stopped reading social media altogether. So as a consequence of that, one of the things that I've realized is um, a form of thought that I've forgotten about, which is sort of this like, I guess the best way to describe it is deep dive thought that I read a book and then somehow I end up reading another book that's spurred on by that book. And then I fi- find myself like five books deep in a subject um, instead of bouncing around between, you know, like oh, I paid attention to here's a Talking Heads video, awesome Talking Heads video, and now I'm looking at this, and now I'm looking at this, um, I end up in these long deep dives, and I, I guess it started with the coddling of the American mind, which is a fantastic book, um, but the next one I read was so you've been publicly shamed, um, and that led me down this path of reading about social media. So the next book I read was Jaron Lanier's. Um, 10 arguments for deleting your social media accounts right now. And now I just finished digital minimalism by, um, Cal Newport. And the more I read these, the more I realize that there's, um, we always suspect, especially if you read things like medium, there's always this, Oh, we suspect that social media is bad for you. In fact, there's a lot of research that proves that it is. Um, and it is, it's the site, not only the scattered thoughts, but it's also kind of what we're talking about that, um, when you're reading these 140 characters or even Facebook where it's a little bit longer, everything is out of context. There's no nuance. There's no subtlety. Everything and everybody, whoever's the loudest, gets shared the most. Whoever is you know, the, the angriest gets shared the most. So what that does to us over time, it, I mean, it, it just degrades who we are as a person. And I think that you see that in the political spectrum too, where people are getting outraged. And then three days later, you're like, Oh, I guess that thing that everybody was so pissed off about didn't even happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're all, we're all being gaslit by not just the president, but by ourselves. Well, one of the fascinating things
0: about, um, Lanier's book was he talks about, he's, um, he, I don't know if you know who he is, but he was like one of the originators of virtual reality. Um, and he, because of of his involvement in that and other things, he's been in a lot of meetings um, and a couple of the meetings that he was involved in over the years were um, Donald Trump was in the meeting. Um, one of them was, uh, I think they were both going for this, uh, for the same deal. They were like bidding. I don't know what the deal was, but they're both bidding for the same deal. And he said, you know, he's like um, Donald Trump has always kind of been Donald Trump. He's always been kind of a confidence man and he's always been kind of big and bolstering he says, but when I met him before, and he's talking about before social media,
1: um,
0: when I met him before social media, he was in on his own joke. He had a sense of humor, and um, he wasn't this, you know, like the the word that likes people like to throw around against the left is snowflake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, he says he says, well, Donald Trump's a snowflake. He's, he's always getting his feelings hurt all the time, and people are always attacking him. And he says he believes that he is a victim of Twitter. That this, what he's, the way he acts like this is from his overuse of Twitter. And he uses as an example of what can happen over time with social media, the way it can change someone's personality. I thought that was fascinating.
1: That's crazy that he'd be the one to say that. Oh, yeah. And he... yeah um, that, it's funny that the song that Ryan and I are... I keep saying Ryan and I, what I mean is Strata, but um, me and Ryan and Harag and Johnny put this song together. Um, it's called Cruise Control. And the, the chorus is simple. It's just like, wake up, take it out of cruise control. But it's talking about people being stuck on their phones and, and sucked into it and how you can be sitting in a room with all your friends, but no one's sharing the, the same space. They're all thinking about something different, looking at something different, and you're just kind of sitting next to each other.
0: Yeah. So we're all passively dipping in and out of this thing um, in, in the Cal Newport book. He talks about this idea of the default network and the the default network is essentially when you're, when you're working on a task, you're focused, but when you're out of that task, you enter what's, what's referred to either as a default network or um, I can't remember the other term for it, but basically what, what they discovered with fMRIs is this default network, this place that our head goes to when there's nothing else occupying it is, is focused in the same areas of the brain as social cognition. So to, to like less fancy that up is best basically our, the way that we build social models, the way that we interact with each other, the way we add context to other people's um, thoughts and our own thoughts is through using this default network. And when you're using social media, essentially, he doesn't say this, but I've read a bunch of papers afterwards. But when you're using social media, your brain doesn't go into that area it actually goes into, into the task area. So by continually dipping into our phones and doing this with other people in the room and stuff like this, we're never entering into the default network. So we are less able to add context to social situations. We're less able to create social bonds. And it actually, it looks like it could be one of the reasons that um, society is so fragmented is because we don't actually know how to do this anymore because we've lost access to that.
1: Yeah. And a, a good, good example, like um, any coffee shop line or sitting at the airport, just anywhere where there's there's waiting to do, um, that's a perfect opportunity to make a connection with, with another human standing next to you. But the first thing everyone does, and I'm guilty of it too, is just like the second you have a, one little moment, you grab your phone and you just dive into that. Um, And I, you know, I kind of miss, I miss the old days where you would be standing next to someone uh, and you might actually make eye contact and (laughs) interact in some way. I I really miss that a lot. It's kind of like the shower, like shower thoughts. Like when you're sitting there by yourself and you just start thinking about things that really, you know, you don't know where the thoughts are coming from and tapping into like that weird little unknown magical part or even as like
0: artists, all the serendipity of like those little moments, you know, like noticing the way that someone's tapping their foot, all these things that you would miss if you're looking in your phone that become pieces of art later. I mean, how many, how many of those little details have become lyrics and
1: songs? Yeah, uh, all of them. I mean, that's why I'm gravitating almost towards like the one thing I know that everybody shares in common now is this feeling of like being addicted to this thing that we love and hate at the same time.
0: Yeah. It's like a shoveling poison in your mouth because it tastes so good and you can't stop eating it constantly. So when you are doing sitting down and working on lyrics now, how, how are you drawing that line? You know, where you're like, okay, this is, this is that old feeling that I want. Or, oh, wait, I'm still digging into, you know, you said like um, you, you dug into too much of your unhappiness before. Um, how are you drawing that line? You know, where you're going, okay, this is something universal, but this is something that's maybe too negative of my personal, um, maybe my past or something like that. I don't want to dig into that. How do you, how do you know now?
1: Um,
0: is that a clear question? Sorry, I was kind of wandering.
1: Yeah, no, it's clear. I mean, I... I feel like with the old stuff um basically everything until like five years ago that I made was was just me trying to figure out like how to stop trying so hard to give up, I guess is the thing like how do i um how do I get through this you know whatever the whatever the this was, it was always coming from that place of like desperation and like trying to say anything that makes me feel a little bit um not even better but just just able to cope everything was coping everything was reactive and i think a lot of a lot of what came from that was good stuff but if you write something that's really rooted in like a negative feeling and then you have to go out and travel and be alone like touring a lot of touring was was loneliness for me i felt really disconnected on tour and like i would be out there singing these lyrics about how lonely i feel and how depressed i am and even if they don't the lyrics don't specifically like spell that out they do feel that way and they did come from that place so having to just revisit those feelings constantly um it just really was unhealthy for me it was it was preventing me from ever actually working out my stuff and so now i you know i was kind of inactive for a while musically because I felt like my one tool was gone. Like my unhappiness was my, it was my fuel. It was my uh, motivation. And I was seeking kind of like, I was always seeking validation. Uh, I I felt like I didn't have the life I wanted personally. So if I went out there and a bunch of strangers clapped for me and shook my hand and said I was awesome, then there I was. I was validated. And then my life changed in a few ways to where I stopped seeking that validation and I really felt artistically empty. Like I'll be the first to admit that I I really enjoyed feeling important in bands because I didn't really feel important in, in my life. And now, you know, I do feel important in my life. So it's been a few years of trying to readjust to like, okay, if I'm not seeking attention and validation and I'm not coping with depression and I'm not, you know, using my art as a way to react to all these negative feelings, then how do I do it? You know, I'm not going to run around writing songs about how happy I am. Um, So that, that's been the struggle really. It's figuring out how can you be, how can I be creative uh, when I'm happy? I think
0: a lot of people have a lot of trouble conceptualizing even what that means for people maybe who aren't artistic it's it seems like um I know for me uh I remember in college I had a um a professor say, "Don't look at art as therapy, and I always thought that was weird because to me that was the model that is you know that that's how you do it you know you get you be, get like Bukowski and you get drunk and then you write about how awful everyone, everything Everyone is. we
1: grew up admiring was they were doing that they were just. Translating their own demons into something that maybe other people could understand,
0: and that was the model, and actually still to this day this is the model that we're always given, right? The tortured artist, the guy who's dying for his art, starving for his art, the guy that has to do this because it's the only thing that will save his soul.
1: Yeah, which you know, I I, I kind of envy the people who are still still in that in a way because they have endless supply of uh, inspiration right because
0: it's a self perpetuating cycle right like yeah. i'm writing this cuz i'm miserable but then this makes me more miserable so that i'm always going to be miserable stand up comedians i know a lot of stand up comedians are afraid to lose their pain because then they won't have anything to complain about right but then you look at people that the guys that survive the you know the ones that you know that really make it and continue to make it you know like in oh, music look at the rolling stones um I wouldn't say that any of their songs were necessarily about misery, but I'm sure at some point they were. But eventually, they stopped having to tap into that because they just became way older than anybody expected them to be.
1: Yeah, and their their stuff was always like, "Oh, I'm 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 miserable because like I can only bang five girls in a day." Like, <laughs> that was their misery. Like my heroin didn't arrive on time. Yeah,
0: and then you know, like comedians too. You know, like obviously you have um, people like Richard Pryor who burned themselves out. But then, you know, like, um, look at Joe Rogan. He's a great example, aside from the podcast, as a stand-up. Guy's pretty happy in his life. Um, and his stand-up is better now than it's ever been. Um, but he probably had to go through a transformation period there too. I know I did. I know I remember specifically writing in a notebook, I don't want to lose my pain because then I'll have no idea what to do. Right. And it took me, I, it was probably a few years ago, and I think in some ways it's still sinking in, um, it took me a while to really digest this, but I, I remember realizing or asking myself first. I said, "Why do I create? Well, you know, what is my motivation? Why am I making this?" And yes, I like you said before, some of it was validation. And I think for both of us, that probably ties back to the whole father issue in some way. Um, <laughs> Big both, time. Both of us not having a, a father that's there every day, um, but. I had to realize, I'm like, no, when I started doing this stuff, when I started writing, when I started um, just playing guitar, you know, like I'm still not a very great guitar player. But the reason I started doing those things is because it was fun. And my my purpose to create was joy. And that was my original motivation. And somehow I had lost it in like this this metaphor of the pain and and expressing something deep inside of myself. and And I had to relearn that. And I had to learn like how do i have fun doing
1: this again and that's a really yeah. hard battle and i and i feel like a lot of it comes from um like when you start to associate fun with how many people showed up or how many copies you sold or how many likes uh, you got yeah and well, that's perfect i mean the number of <laughs> uh just like daily moments people need to be validated for even their smallest little little things like Oh man, just
0: like your cup of coffee that you took a picture of. Like, oh, I only got five likes. It's a fucking cup of coffee.
1: Yeah, and I hate shitting on people for this because I'm just as guilty of it, but like that search for validation, it's just like if you have one Grammy, you need two. If you have a million dollars, you need two, five, six million, whatever. Like it's it's just, I think it's a struggle that every, like whether you're an artist or a creative person or not, like we're all locked into this weird contest for uh, attention and validation constantly. And I mean, obviously you and I are participating in it now by like thinking that what we have to say is, you know, interesting to people or or important.
0: That's like I've, Lam and I had talked about this before is one of the hardest things for me to realize about this show is because not only um, I think what bears um, pointing out too, is when you have this crave for validation, there's also the other side of it that always comes with it. You know, the coin always has, Two heads. There's the side that needs validation, but then there's the side that thinks you're not worth it. You know that that you need that validation because the other
1: side's there that says, "Well, I'm I'm not really that good at this, or I'm not really that important." That's that's exactly. um, I don't know if people listening to this like know much of my story, but I was pretty prolific for a really long time. Just like always, you know, I've always been kind of a slow writer, I guess, but. There was never like years long periods of just no activity, and this like happy life that I have now, um, it, it has it it really slowed that down for so long because of the struggle of having to figure out you know like how do you reboot your artistic mind and I, I'm still so confused by it. I, I feel like people who even people who don't make stuff you know create things for a living uh probably feel the same confusion. I wake up confused every day about like what's important, like we're resetting all these values that that default network you're talking about um, I think we're all feeling disconnected from it in in different ways
0: yeah, I think we had there's there's now this is speculation and and somewhat memory because in some ways. What's terrible to say is it's hard to remember what it was like before the internet, even though you and I were both alive before then. <laughs> mm. But I think what we did before is you had to, in order to really figure things out, we used to sit and talk to people. And um, we don't, as a society, we don't do that very much anymore. Um, and and tweeting and, and, and commenting on Facebook and um, commenting on Instagram does not count. That's not conversation. And so, because of that, we're not getting the same um, context outside of ourselves to really broaden our understanding of ourselves. You know, like it's really easy, especially like for me, I'm my life is fairly isolated. You know, I don't, I don't have a job to go to every day. Like I work for myself from home, so I could sit here all day if I want. And I have this dog that I take care of every day, and he's, I don't, he's been apart from me like an hour and a half since January when I got him. Um, I don't drink, so I don't go out very much anymore. So it's really easy for me to overfocus on myself and, and to really, um, do that, that coin thing. You know, there's one side of me where I'm blowing up who I am. And then there's the other side of me where I'm tearing apart who I am. And if I don't pull myself out of that often enough, then I, I I lose myself.
1: Yeah. The strange, like humility kind of took over for me where, I've, I don't feel like I've ever really been a humble guy. I've always, I think I've always turned people off when I first meet them, at least because I come off as being like self-inflating and, uh, I don't know, like a lot of my best friends say, Oh, I, I hated you when I first met you. Cause you seemed like such a stuck up, like fool yourself, blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I agree with that. Like I think back on, on how badass I used to think I was, um, I I grew up thinking that like well of course I'm going to be successful in music because I'm I'm good and I have all the stuff to say that's really important and as I got older I I think something kind of hit me where I realized you know I'm I'm really not that great at anything I'm good at a few things but uh you know the the jack of all trades master of none kind of thing took over and that's been a really hard thing to overcome creatively is to think like that what I have to say is worth saying now, you know, um, it's every, everything I write now, every, every song I'm working on right now, I'm sitting there thinking like, well, does anyone even want to hear this? I I don't know. I don't know if it's even good. It's a, it's a, it's a shitty place to come to, to be this like critical, I guess. Um, but I'm taking it as part of my new, my new way of creating is, is, it's, it's therapeutic again, but it's not, it's, it's back to being fun, you know, more so uh, that's kind of the only way I can keep making stuff is to have fun doing it and not think so much about, you know, like how many people are going to show up to a show or whatever.
0: I think one of the most difficult things for me when I changed this show into this format where I'm talking to someone different in every episode was coming to the realization, and, and this goes back to that two-headed coin thing too. Um, the realization that the only thing that connects these episodes—you know—I'll I'll talk to you, and then I'll talk to Kim Wallish, who's in city government, and then I'll talk to uh, Vinnie Lepe, who's a YouTuber. And that there's like no theme among the people. The only thing that connects the episodes is me. Yeah. So if people are subscribed and they keep coming back in some way, that means that they're coming back for me Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they like me but it means that they come back because of maybe my choices of people or um, my conversations but to be able to accept that but then also not have that inflate my ego which I don't have enough um, enough exposure for it to inflate my ego very much you know it's not like I'm getting you know 5 million listens on every episode so my, my ego doesn't get inflated But to be able to accept that and go, okay, well, if I know that, then what does that mean? Well, that means I have a responsibility to enjoy myself in this process and to be more myself because maybe I don't, like you said, maybe I don't necessarily see what other people are coming back for in myself or what I have to say, but they do. And I have to do this as a validation of them and maybe not of me. And that's, yeah. that, that's a really interesting twist when you, when you start to accept that
1: it's freeing. And it's, it's kind of like going back to the, again, the validation thing, like when I post something and and I get people saying, Oh, I, I wish I could have seen you guys live. It, even if it's just that one person who wishes they could have seen my band live, it makes me want to go on tour again. Like it makes me want to get back on the road and, and give people whatever it is that, that you know, that they're attracted to that makes them, that makes them a little happier makes them like escape even for that hour on stage or whatever. Um, It's, it's hard to turn your back on anything that you make.
0: Right. Because it's, I mean, even if it's not coming from pain anymore, it's always a part of who we are. And even these conversations, I I can go back and listen and I'm going to hear, you know, what I thought at the beginning of the season, like, Oh wow, I was thinking about that or Whoa, I was totally wrong about that. But I take ownership of that because it's something I created now. And that's, that's, that's a very powerful motivation that's different than validation. And it's a, it's, a really, it's a really great way to move forward to learn those things. But it's not easy at all. <laughs> it's like having, having the difference between having an ego and having healthy pride in, your, in what you do. And I, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, that, that line wasn't very clear. So
1: I I was definitely not mindful of any of that growing up.
0: Well, I think also going back to what you were saying about people thinking that you were arrogant when they first met you, you think in some ways that you you were, but there's also, I think another side of that too, is you and I are both introverted. And because of that, which maybe people would think is kind of crazy because you get on stage and sing, but most of the singers I know are shy um, in personal life in some way. Um, but that introversion comes off as, as some, for, for some people, like for me, it comes off as intensity.
1: Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, tr- I don't trust anybody that when I first meet somebody and they're super outgoing and they're, they're smiling the whole time and they're part of me is jealous. Cause I, I wish I could be that way. But, um, when I meet someone who's, who's like that, just the first thing I think is that, you know, they're, they're overconfident, they're compensating for something and, I wish I wasn't cynical that way. I wish I could really take someone at face value when they come off right away as like just being super approachable.
0: Right. It's like that Mr. Rogers thing. This guy is so nice. This guy can't be that nice.
1: Yeah. There's gotta be something about him. And But I've learned so much just in my, my personal life with, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the friends that Shannon attracts, um, are like that, you know, they're, they're just like her, like they're, they're outgoing and they're, they're, they're not dark in their heads. And to me, like, it takes a minute for me to realize like, wow, some people are not, uh, cynical. Right. And
0: um, our group in particular was very cynical.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 We, I mean, you can miss out on a lot of great stuff in the world if, if you're just, um, overly cynical, overly anything.
0: Right. There's that middle, that middle path, which seems so hard to find that balance. I think that, I mean, for me, most days, that's all I'm looking for is a little bit of balance. You know, whether it's balancing between my anxiety and my depression.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, that, that story that, um, I think Geo told it on your podcast about the, Cactus? I think it was in, No, we were talking about, he was telling me when we were at the cabin recording, he was telling me, I think it was when he was on your podcast, he was talking about the, uh, there was a kid at a show when we were touring Europe who I made fun of. I think that was on the
0: podcast. Go ahead and tell it.
1: Uh, Oh God, it's a horrible story. It was, I I remember it as we were in Prague and it was one of the only stops, uh, I, got, I have I got to preface this by saying it was one of the only stops that I noticed in Europe where like people didn't seem to speak English, um, very much. And so we're playing the show and it's going really well, except there's this one guy that's just like making weird faces at me. And I keep singling him out and kind of like, like, sort of flip him off in between lines and kind of like heckle him. And because I thought that he, you know, he was giving me shit or something like, um, there I am on stage. I'm supposed to be confident enough to the point where like if if there is one person there giving me a hard time like they shouldn't even exist i should just do my thing but i'm so locked on to just like fuck this guy you know and you know he was kind of mimicking my emotions if i throw my hands up in a weird way he was kind of doing it too and i thought he was mocking me the whole time so towards the end of the show i i i in between songs i pointed him out said something super I forget what I said to him and I, I think I had the whole crowd like turn around and flip him off or do something like that and after the show we go over to like the merch area and I see this kid and he's got the record and he's got a shirt and he's with this girl and they have me sign the record and, and it turns out that he was a you know a mentally disabled kid mm, I do remember that story now and I was making, I was making fun of him the whole time, not knowing, not knowing. And I, it, it's like, basically like I stormed out of there after I, it was as nice as I could be to him. And I went back to the bus and, and a little while later, Gio comes back and I'm just sobbing. Like it was one of the, it felt like it was one of the worst moments in my life because you know, I was just trying to turn this room against who I thought this guy was you know, when it was really just a kid having a good time. And, um, I don't know. I think that knocked me back quite a bit. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't say I it instantly became a humble person, but I definitely uh, realized that my perception can, it uh, can be flawed and kind of like lead me down a, a bad path, you know, without all the evidence.
0: And well, I think that also touches on two of the things we were talking about earlier. Like, first of all, you know, you're you're on tour, so and you're on stage, even, so it, you're wrapped up in your own little drama. You know, like uh, like people in cars. You know, like there's a there's a comedian who did a, I think it was a Brian Regan did a joke about um, being in a car trip with his wife, and then he's he falls asleep and he wakes up, and he's like, I don't know what it is. He's like, but she created all of these little personal dramas. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy over here is fucking me by cutting cutting in on my lane, and this guy. He's like she had a drama with every car around her. Yeah, but we can do that, right? And the, the yeah, social we're, media all,
1: we're all doing that. We're all doing that all the time.
0: When, when in fact, it's probably you know it could be just somebody who's a fan that you know is expressing themselves because of you know something that's personal to them. You know, yeah, I feel, I feel
1: yeah. like that that kid was literally like the only fan in the room. He he's <laughs> he really was enjoying himself. Now that I look back on it, you know, and.
0: That also goes back to the idea of you know this perpetual um, need for forgiveness that we we've lost. It's like so you made a mistake. That doesn't mean that's who you are forever. Any you were, it wasn't even you an hour later because you were wrapped up in your own little personal drama that you were unaware of his situation. There's no way you could have known that, anyways, right?
1: Completely I'll, I'll impossible. Tell you, uh, as like a, as a survivor of extreme uh, depression. Um, guilt, you can call it guilt if you're a raised Catholic like I was, but holding on to the mistakes that you made, you know, if I, if I could go back 20 years and just tell myself this, I don't know if it would make me a worse person or better, but that's, I think that's the thing that ends up hurting the most and causing the most damage is when you're just not able to forgive yourself for mistakes you made. Yeah, we're usually the cruelest to
0: ourselves. I know at least I, I had similar issues, right? So at least I know that people that think and feel the way that we did, definitely, definitely, the worst on ourselves than anyone else. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's actually a really good point. Would have made us a better or worse person. I think in some ways it would have made me probably cocky when I wasn't cocky. So who
1: knows? Yeah, if you if, if you're running around like instantly forgiving yourself for everything you do, then you're then you're just a sociopath. Yeah, I remember my dad told me a story. His
0: his father was um, an amateur boxer of some sort. And he wanted his dad to teach him to box. And he said, no, you're too cocky. You need to get your ass kicked. And I think that sometimes (laughs) that's what we need from life. Sometimes we need life to kick us in the ass before we wake up and become better people. I know I did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I spent a lot of time being jealous of people who, who weren't pursuing something difficult, you know being jealous of the people who were happy just like wake up in the morning go to work come home hang out with the kids watch TV go to sleep and then repeat and i spent like most of my life wishing that i could be happy with that and feeling like that conflicts with creativity and and artistic pursuits somehow so of all the lost time you know if i could have just realized that you you can be a fulfilled and happy and uh content person and also pursue, you know, one in a million chances like being successful in art and music. You know, I wish I knew that back then.
0: Yeah. I spent years uh, terrified of that, terrified of that future. That one day I would have to give up on all the things that I want to accomplish and just settle, you know, like, uh, you remember that movie, Mr. Holland Opus? Did you
1: ever see that? I remember the title, but I don't remember the movie. So essentially
0: this guy wanted to be a composer and he ends up becoming a teacher and then, um, and he's, he hates himself for it because he feels like I should always be working on my Magnus, you know, my opus as the title has should always be working on this. And he just hates his life. And he resents his wife because, you know, like he's settled into this life and then they have a kid and his kid is deaf so he's dedicated his whole life to music and his kid is deaf um, wow. now, without ruining the movie. Eventually he writes the opus obviously, and he writes it for his son. And I used to watch that when I was younger, I watched that movie and go fuck that movie <laughs> because I felt it was like this huge statement of it's okay to settle. It's okay not to be extraordinary. Right. But, but now as an older person and with some maturity, I look at it and go, That's a beautiful story that he needed these things to happen so that he could do that. Because if he didn't have his son, he would never have had the motivation to do the thing that he always wanted to do. And that context of age is something I think that you and I have both gained a lot of, especially in the last like 10 years, you know, how many friends have we had die and how much shit we've gone through.
1: Yeah. That brings me to this thought. I always go back to where, um, no problem that you have is, is really that big and no great thing that you could make is really that great. Um, you know, in the the next hundred years, like everything's going to be gone and no one's going to, uh, remember anything good or bad that you did.
0: Right. Yeah. Like, Or,
1: or even that you existed at all. So just like, fuck it, you know, and, and fuck it in a good way. Like just, nothing. Uh, the nihilist view, like, I don't think is a negative thing at all. Like it's freeing. Well, you
0: think about in, in 300 years, if number one, if the humans are still here, um in 300 years, if we're lucky, the only thing that'll be remembered from this time will probably be the
1: Beatles. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to interrupt you and say the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like I talked to Ryan a lot about space and like, interstellar, you know, travel and all these things. And it, it, the, the largeness of it all freaks him out. Um, but for me, it's the opposite. It may, like the smaller I am, the better. Um, the less I matter, the, the less what I do matters and the less my mistakes matter.
0: You know what I think about a lot too, is I think about the idea of parallel universes. That, you know, it's possible that there's a universe out there where every single choice went another way. And I think about that every time something happens, and I go, "Oh, somewhere, you know, like, oh, almost bumped my head. Oh, somewhere out there, there's a me that just cracked his head."
1: Yeah, uh, I've never, I've, I've tried so long to understand that concept, but I just can't. The only thing for me is, I think that that might explain ghosts. Maybe.
0: Who knows? We who knows? Who knows? I can't who knews. talk. Who knows? Uh, who knew we'd be talking about ghosts? <laughs>
1: Well, there's, lately there's been some weird creaking happening in my, like some noises in my house that everyone's noticing and no one knows where they're coming from. So we're, we're kind of, we're all sort of on edge. And I'm sure the dog
0: notices them first, right? Cause he's got like that stellar hearing.
1: Yeah. And the more, you know, I, I'm a new puppy dad too. So the the, the more time I'm spending at home uh, by myself, I'm noticing it more. It's kind of freaking me out. Yeah, there's, maybe, I, maybe it's me in a different dimension. Who knows?
0: I think that, uh, you know, when when Lamb and I first went back and started doing um, Random Badassery a couple months ago, um, we were talking about, because I had missed, I grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries and all of that kind of stuff. And I never necessarily believed any of the stuff, but I was always fascinated by it. You know, like I think when I watch like things like Ancient Aliens, I think most of the guys on those shows are full of shit. Yeah. But I still really enjoy watching it. Um, so we would talk about that stuff a lot. And I've been reading books about You know, like uh, right now I'm reading about the Mothman and all of this stuff. And it's just fun to think about that stuff for me. And I think that's going back to that idea of finding those things that are fun and just enjoying them. You know, like I said, creating from a place of fun, but also that part of being happiness is finding those things.
1: I mean, how many years would you spend? You have to suspend disbelief in your own life sometimes.
0: Yeah, I mean, how many of those years when you were miserable would you say? If I had said, "What do you, What's fun for you?" Would you have been able to give me more than like
1: one or two things? Uh, there were periods that we've known each other where nothing was fun. Yeah, me too. Absolutely.
0: I've I've sat and thought about it. I'm like, what what do I enjoy? What do I actually enjoy? And that's that's a terrible mindset to live in. I can for anybody out there who hasn't been in that place. It's it's awful. It's like being in a wasteland. You have to find those, even if they're ridiculous things. You know, like maybe you want to, like I said, study gray aliens. I know that
1: you were freaked out by gray aliens. They were they were my number one, like most terrifying thing in the world.
0: Did you watch that movie Communion? Is that where it came from?
1: I don't know where it came from. I, I specifically, I remember watching some, you know, one of those shows, kind of like Unsolved Mysteries kind of things. And there was this image of a girl being like, lifted out of her bed and like magically kind of like pulled through the window on like a tractor beam kind of deal
0: oh that was an x-files
1: and something just got me when i was a kid and i i was afraid of that and then once i started you know being sexually active i was convinced i was gonna die of aids so the aliens kind of like were replaced by aids
0: good god that's always (laughs) a fun thought
1: (laughs) yeah and i wasn't i mean i wasn't even really that uh promiscuous that's funny
0: but that's, you know, that's the, also the era that we grew up in, right? You know, so... If you touch like, anyone.
1: Yeah, you get naked with anyone, you're going to die.
0: Yeah, we, we had AIDS. We, uh, nuclear war um, was another one that we grew up with. And then, uh, shit, what was the other one? I just had it and I lost it. But we grew up with these, you know, these ideas. Oh, satanic panic. You know, there's satanic cults all over the place, <laughs> kidnapping yeah. and molesting children. We grew up with these things. And yeah. so they live inside of our
1: heads, unfortunately. That's why, like, um, when I watch a you know a show, uh, Shannon's younger than me, and so when I'm showing her a movie that I grew up on, like, you know, Train Spotting, like '90s, early '90s, and late '80s stuff, it was all so dark, and we really came from like kind of a panicked place.
0: Well, it's like um, I've been going back and watching. I got I got um, hooked by that CNN show, the '80s. Um, which is just fantastic, but it reminded me.
1: I watched the 80s. I watched all those decade ones. It's great.
0: I haven't gone into the 90s one yet. I need to, but the 80s one, I just got so hooked on it that I started like dipping back into 80s like media, watching 80s TV shows, watching 80s um, movies. And you know, I found something though. There was this, the, the, the 80s, you can definitely see when you go back and watch the 80s movies, that punk rock influenced cinema of the 80s. Because those movies, yeah, they were kind of terrible, but there was kind of a punk rock aesthetic to them where it's like, I don't give a shit that this, you know, like, um, I watched Weird Science, which is probably in many ways completely socially inappropriate anymore because of so many things in there, not to mention. Yeah,
1: these guys like create a sex
0: slave on their computer, right? Pretty much. You know, that's the one thing that that I thought that that's what um, you would think from that. I watched the movie. If you watch the movie again, uh, it's actually. I would almost make an argument for it being feminist because she's the only character with power in the whole movie. Um, Like they're completely worthless nerds, you know, like they're just useless. Every man in the movie is just awful. Uh, But the, but she has all the power. She's never afraid. Lam and I have talked about this before on the other podcast too. Um, Just, but the, what there's like a scene with Anthony Michael Hall where he's doing like, um, actually it's more than one scene. Where he's doing this awful, like, um, pimp voice, where you're like, ooh, you know, just the stereotypical, oh, okay. like, yeah. black, black yeah. jive talking. Um, just awful. And you're like, oh, well, he's just a kid, so it's not his fault. But, you know, the rest of the movie is so punk rock in the sense that, like, it's just, it doesn't give a fuck, um, which is what we grew up with, too. You know, we grew up with the dark side of the 90s, but then the 80s was just like, just do it. You're like, oh, you want to suck a, a piano through a, a chimney and explode it onto the lawn? Do it. You want to have somebody ride a dirt bike through the house with a mutant mask on? Do it.
1: Yeah, it sounds like the 90s too, because they're SpongeBob nuts.
0: Right, SpongeBob <laughs> or uh, Barney. Like, what the fuck was that? Or the Teletubbies? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that that's, that's what I always go back to, those eras though, because at the same time, when I get lost creatively or I'm overcomplicating things I go back to that I'm like well maybe you can just do that maybe you don't have to overthink it maybe you can just have you know three ambiguous um, characters of different colors
1: why not purple red yeah know. well the purple one's gay so
0: <laughs> yeah cuz he had a purse right mm-hmm. and that's you know that was that was acceptable that was okay it's just like yeah, nobody thought about it and it was okay now we overthink everything if if you know like uh, how many shows or movies we grew up with if they came out now, you know or stand up comedy, they'd just be completely unacceptable because people are overthinking everything and we forgot how to enjoy ourselves.
1: Well, uh, limos. We play a Christmas show every year, and when we were practicing, I mean, we were practicing for this most recent one, and it's called the Fuck Fest, and it's like to me this weird idea. I'm not even sure if other people understand like what's appealing about it, but mixing sex with Christmas has always been a really strange idea in my head. I'm kind of I get sort of obsessed with it when we're planning the show. so like splicing in you know shots of porn into like old Christmas shows like the Charlie Brown Christmas and things like that. Um, a couple of years ago, it just seemed like something like, sure, it's crude and it'll make people laugh. but I'm terrified now of, you know, people having this crazy reaction and labeling me some kind of a weird pervert because of, you know, I popped out of a box with a dildo sticking out of my pants. (laughs) I feel like you have to be able to still, um, I don't know. You have to be, you have to be able to push a little bit on what's acceptable. And that, that brings me back to that Louis CK thing of, you know, being upset when, when people were protesting him, like, I, I I'm scared that we're leading ourselves down in a direction where no one can take any chances anymore. And I, and I hate that. That sounds like I'm apologizing, you know, whatever, but that's what's, that's, what's great about those eighties movies. And there he is quiet. Come here. Okay. Sorry. Like that's, that might be what you were saying. You miss about, about eighties entertainment. Maybe it was like, there are, there are things in there that, can be offensive to people and there's something for everyone. Like we can all be offended by something. And that, I think that's, we need to kind of still have a, have some of that.
0: I think people somewhere along the lines, people got the idea that they had a right not to be offended. And nobody has that right. <laughs> it doesn't exist. You're going to be offended. Um, you know, like the, the, the whole point of people forget uh, what they forget about 1984. People always reference 1984 as you know, this dystopian future, It's so awful. Um, But if you actually pay attention, there's sections in the book where they're reading from another book, the book that they use to build the world that they live in. And what you find out is that they were so obsessed with equalizing everyone that the only way that they found that they could do it was to push us all down, was to stomp on all of us and put us all... The only way that everyone is equal is if everyone is in pain. And I think about that where I'm like, you know, if if you like this whole trigger warning thing drives me nuts because I'm like I'm not going to warn anybody; they're going to be offended. You know, the, you'll get offended. It happens. The way you become a strong person is by moving past your wounds, not holding on to them.
1: And, well, and like a, a trigger warning for me would be like, or for you too would be like, warning there's there's a, a bad family situation where you know there's a divorce and dad's mistreating people, whatever. Like right. you you'd have to have a trigger warning on, on everything.
0: Yeah. I mean, at, at what point, you know, it's like, Oh, the you know, lamb and I have joked about this as well, but it's like, well, what if somebody's offended by the word oatmeal? Does that mean we can't use the word oatmeal anymore because somebody is offended by it? No, they just have to accept the fact that sometimes people are going to say oatmeal and sometimes they're going to be offended. Otherwise we quash everything. And that's a terrifying thing too. You know, like, but
1: then, but then if you, if you just substitute the word oatmeal with the N word, your statement would have been totally different.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't make a statement on that because I'm I'm not black. But I know that the, I've I've heard some some people make that argument. Um, some African American people make that argument. It was like, what maybe we should just stop caring about this word because it's giving us power. I mean it's giving people power over us. I don't know about that. I can't make a statement on that. But I do know that there's a line somewhere where it's like, okay, this is not acceptable, but this is going too far. And I think right now we're, tr- we're working really hard as a world to try to figure that out. And we haven't figured it out yet.
1: And yeah, social media I, does not help. I have, I have a feeling we're not going to figure it out. That's what's scaring me.
0: Well, you know, like, uh, for example, like the um, uh, Huckleberry Finn, right? There have been places that have banned Huckleberry Finn because of the copious use of the word, uh, the N-word. Yeah. Um, but we lose context and we lose, um, sometimes we lose intention. Um, And that's a really good example of losing intention. For example, that book is probably one of the best treatises against racism that was ever written. The whole point of that book is that this white boy learns that this black man is a human being in a world that does not see him as a human being. And the reason, you know, like Mark Twain was a very smart man. He wasn't an idiot. The reason he gives him the name N-word Jim is to remind you of the world in which the story took place. That this word, this is how the world sees him. But this boy does not. And I also think in some way he, (laughs) in some way he named the character that so that every time we talked about the book, that we'd feel ashamed because we had to keep saying that word, even though we've read the book and learned the lesson.
1: Yep. That's the the power of context for sure. Yeah.
0: And if you censor that book, now you've lost this powerful, powerful statement. It's really crazy where things just go too far. And it's, and it's because we were reactionary and we're not actually doing deep thinking, critical
1: thinking anymore. And that scares me. Like you said. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about, um, things that I've written. And I, uh, on stage I paused, I said, yeah, this song is a rapier than I thought. Um, the song stranger where it's talking about being obsessed with someone online and wanting to you know, love them in real life is the line. And if they're in the second verse, there's these lines of like watching you walk through like a dark parking lot. And then like, I'm wondering what you feel like. And, uh, you don't know me but i'm watching you kind of stuff and and it just sounds so so rapey in like 2019 when in 2014 it didn't to me at least and i don't know if that's a good thing or not if it's like a, my way of thinking is is being changed so maybe it's good maybe maybe i'm like noticing things that you know i think it's both I right i i don't know that's what's confusing to me like i should be able to write something that um gets a point across it's from a narrator that's not necessarily myself i'm just telling a story um but i do have to worry that like my words will be taken a certain way you know
0: and that's the world we want we want the world where you should be able to write those things but you don't feel like it because you're more evolved than that you know that that, that's you know there's there's no rule that says you can't do that and people aren't going to tear you apart but you don't feel like it you know like uh Technically I could say any word I want, but there are certain words I just never want to say. Right. And that's just how I feel. No one's making me not say them. I just don't want to say them.
1: But if you're writing from the, like, if if you're, you're being, you're writing in the voice of your narrator, whether it's in a song or a poem or whatever, you need to be able to express what you imagine that character's thinking.
0: Right. That's actually something I was going to bring up. Um, how many authors in the past have gotten in trouble for things that they made their characters think? And I don't remember who said it, but somebody said, "You know, what the character thinks and what the author thinks are not always
1: the same thing." Right? How are you going to write a bad character? <laughs> which, which is like um, in my my books that I put out, I, I there are some. It switches back and forth throughout the books from being actual kind of memoir style, like this is how I felt at the time, where it's me speaking, and then there's other times when I write a little fiction story. Like I remember somebody stopping me and asking like if I really did puke into a baby's mouth or not if I did, but if someone else did, and it's a story about like a, you know, just it's a gross little fiction story about junkies. It's like, I, I didn't do it. You know,
0: (laughs) how about the couch,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The story of watching high school kids through a hole in the fence, you know, living out their social lives, hanging out on this couch. And then, uh, the story climaxes with you know the kids showing up one morning and there's blood all over the couch and someone's missing and it's assumed that the narrator is responsible. Uh, yeah, you and I made a, a little short film about that, and yeah, having people ask real life questions about this completely fictional story, I feel now if I were to sit down and write, like I wouldn't feel comfortable writing that story, even though I I like it and I think it's a cool concept. I wouldn't feel comfortable because I would think people, you know, if this came out of my brain, then I must be a sick person.
0: Right? You know, I'm I'm sure Chuck Palahniuk has gone through that a lot because he, I mean, his his shit is pretty fucking twisted. Yeah. But when you meet the guy or you hear interviews with him, he's like the nicest, normalest
1: dude in the world. Or yeah. like if you're the if you wrote Lolita, you know? Yeah. Like that's so scary to me right now about about the hyper. I, I call it hypersensitivity and, and I'm being hypersensitive. Am I like maybe being scared to say that word even? Um, I think if we're all too sensitive, then we can't take risks and we can't like explore even the darkest parts of what we're thinking.
0: Yeah. Lolita is a fantastic example. You, I don't think, I don't think many people could get away right now without people tearing them apart to write a book where the character is a pedophile.
1: Right. And I mean, and and, and like part of the purpose of, the theme of the book is is like you're empathizing with people on both sides of a pedophilic relationship. Right. And can you, can you write that in 2019? Like, I don't, I don't think so.
0: And to be honest, like I've read that book a few times and there's so much nuance and subtlety and things hidden underneath the surface of that book that most people miss it. So if you, I mean, they missed it then, they would definitely miss it now. You know, like if you really dig in there, some people think that's a book about love, like they actually get, but they don't realize, you know, the main character is a literature professor. So he uses really flowery language and that as a narrator, he's manipulating you. And if you pay attention to things that he's actually raping this girl and that's awful, but it's a wonderful book. And if, if that art, the power of art is to be able to do things like that. Not only things like that, but to be able
1: to, to be able to say, what is in this person's? What is in this character's head? Who is this character? Yeah, and that's what that's what scares me about a, a generation of artists, you know, being raised in a world where they have to be that much more careful about, you know, how they express themselves.
0: With, and that's and that's when you one of the things that I when I look at the the news or social media too much. What you see, remember I was mentioning earlier about, you know, whoever's yelling the loudest gets the most attention, but everybody to some degree on social media has to yell, you know, to get attention of some sort. But what you see is all you end up seeing is the ends, the fringes, you know, the people on the far left censoring people and the people on the far right, you know, um, racist, fascists. But most of people in reality, their thoughts are somewhere in the middle, but we're posturing like we're on the far left or on the far right, because there's not really, there's no pole in the center anymore that people can hold on to. So you have right. to lean one way or the other. Otherwise people will tear you apart from being left enough or not being right enough.
1: And yeah. Then- I recommend, um, I go on this fly fishing trip, um, twice a year and, you know, I'm the far lefty and then there's a bunch of conservative guys. <clears throat> there's cops and union guys, and i i get into these these conversations with um the one who you would think i'm most like opposite of um he's a he's a police officer he's a you know christian and we end up agreeing on a lot more than we expect to every single time we talk we have a lot more in common than not so i i take those lessons to heart and that's why it, it, it's it, it's hard to participate sometimes um, with uh, like adding to the the outrage cycle and taking a side. I I hate that idea that we're all taking sides right now.
0: Right, it's like this that whole Covington issue. You know, like regardless, uh, you know, I watched the whole like three hours or whatever. I saw a lot of different things, but one thing that I, that I think that not enough people paid attention to is these are children regardless of whether they were being racist or not, they're children.
1: That's what I mean. Like that poor kid, like I would get torn up for having any sympathy for him, but like he is, he is a kid. And when I was that age, I, if there was a camera following me around and if I was broadcast on the internet, like, you know, I absolutely would have, I I would, I would be Considered a racist or a pervert or all these things. Like people are when you're kids, you just say stupid things. And right, yeah, there are there's there's more than two sides to every story.
0: If you had a video camera and a time machine, and you went back to like the early days of the coffee shop where you and I were hanging out and everybody else was hanging out, and recorded some of the jokes that we used to make,
1: dude. I I mean, I used to walk up behind. I probably did it to you. Put my dick in your pocket. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> and tap you on the shoulder and say cock pocket.
0: Or how how often do we do the check out my balls? Oh, oh my I got God. this. I got this little itch here, and then you'd have your balls hanging out.
1: <laughs> That's what I mean. Like that stuff that was—it's so weird to even think about because, like, I cannot imagine you know whipping my dick out at a party and swinging it around. Like, but I did that. I did that fifteen years ago. I right. I, it's it's crazy that. Like I have zero um, ambition of running for anything public office wise. I used I used to until I kind of like got involved with it and I saw from the inside, like, this, it's just not something I want to do. Right. But, but while I was kind of considering it, like even just running for like local office, I thought about all these stories that could come out about me, you know, stuff like that, like getting naked at a party and just running through the room and everyone freaking out and how nowadays if you did that, like, You definitely, I mean, that's my struggle right now is like, I feel like someone who would do that maybe isn't fit to, (laughs) to be elected to anything. But then at the same time, like I've done those things, uh, it's confusing.
0: It is really confusing. I don't know. I don't know if people younger than us have the same confusion, Um, maybe just because, you know, for more of their life, they've been exposed to it. But for us, it's really confusing because it's like, we lived in a time where things like that were more acceptable. Um, you know, like, I remember, here's a great example. Um, my grandparents were not racist people, but they grew up in a time where people used those words as common words. So right. I remember being a small child, I must have been like 10 or something, and my grandmother saying something and saying the N-word. And I remember looking at her go, you're not supposed to say that word, that's a bad word. And the look of embarrassment and shame on her face, it was like, I was the first person who had ever told her that. And I'm not going to say that she didn't know that that word um, offended people because it's possible, but I never heard her say that word again because she heard it from this kid and went, oh, well, this thing that I grew up as acceptable is not acceptable.
1: Right. And what that, that leads me to this feeling that like you and I are part of this generation that It's kind of like the grandpa saying, you know what I mean? Like we're already 75 years old and people are shaking their heads at us, you know, for things that we don't even really realize we're doing.
0: Right. I think one of the biggest struggles for our generation, actually, you know, race is not a struggle for us. I don't think as a whole, we, we, we came after the sixties. So we're pretty, especially people from California, we're pretty enlightened on race. Um, We're not perfect, but we're pretty enlightened on race you know we don't run around complaining about the jews and the you know all that stuff that's not that's not our generation that stuff was dealt with we moved past that stuff for us like i think one of the difficult things is the idea of gender fluidity and all of these things that um, for our whole lives have been standard the, you know you're a boy or you're a girl and now we have to step outside of that because the, that's things are moving differently people don't think that way anymore and that's going to be a difficult bump for us to get over. That's going to be our grandfather moment. Um, you know, like uh, accidentally dead naming somebody.
1: Yeah. Which is, uh, I mean... It's a feeling of just needing, you know, at least a first step of realizing that there's stuff out there to be careful about and think differently about.
0: Well, I think what what's really fascinating to me, and this is just a perception, I obviously don't have any evidence for this, but it seems to me that most of the... I'll use dead naming for example. Um, for anybody who doesn't know what dead naming is, it would be referring to somebody as the um, someone who was born biologically a male that has transitioned into a female um, or into um, their true form, as they would maybe say it. Um, so even having even saying this, I feel like I'm going to say something the wrong way. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yep. um, but that's how I learn. Yeah, you know, I'm just I have to stumble my way through these things. This is how we learn. to to speak more properly as times change. But anyways, dead naming would be um, if if John um, is now Joan and calling Joan, John, that's dead naming them. That name is dead.
1: Um, I'd never even, that's how maybe old and get off my lawn grandpa I am is that I'd never even heard that.
0: It's new to me. I just, uh, to be honest, I learned it on Rogan (laughs) (laughs) Um, because somebody got kicked off of Twitter for doing it. So anyways, for us, uh, I can't remember where I was going.
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying
0: I, to word that, the trying to word that and negotiate that conversation just totally made me forget my train of thought. <laughs>
1: it's it's funny because when we were talking about doing this, I I was worried that you were gonna, I'm well, not worried, but I was thinking like you'd have all these hard hitting questions in a different way. Oh no! You know? <laughs> and yeah. then it turns out we're both just kind of trying to stumble through social norms together.
0: I think that that's. That's oh, that's where I was going with it. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I think that most of, uh, for example, dead naming. Most of the people that get offended by those things are not the people who have transitioned, right? Because I think that uh, f- from my experience, people, um, transsexual people, are really tough and resilient human beings. They're not uh, overly sensitive. It's usually people outside of the group that are that are instigating these things. And that's really, really frightening to me because um, people are taking ownership of somebody, you know, like we talk about social appropriation and misappropriation all the time. Now, I, I feel like when you tell somebody, you can't, as a man, you say, you can't say that to her because of this. At a certain, there's a certain point there where it's like, she can do that. You know, if you really believe men and women are equal, then she can stand up for herself. You know, it yeah. doesn't mean you shouldn't stand by a woman and protect a woman, but when you feel like you have to be a crusader for a group that you're not a part of, you might be instigating yourself into their culture and, and you know, creating these things that now they have to be, you know, like transsexuals um, would have to be responsible for th- this statement that this person said, who's not even a
1: transsexual. And that's yeah, amazing. that gets into the whole white savior, social justice thing. That Yeah,
0: exactly. You know, like... The, of course, you want to you want to stand by people who are marginalized. And of course, you want to do that, but you don't need to lead the charge, and you don't need to set the policy. That's that's the people in that group's job because they're the ones who
1: have to live with it. That's a that that kind of touches on like me scaling back my political activity because if I hear from my side over and over again that white men don't matter and they need to step down, then it's like okay. Right. You know, not and, not not like a malicious like way, I'm just cool like I'll step down.
0: <laughs> and there's also there's also a line on that too where it's like some people seem to think that um and I think this is actually white men who tend to think this that their opinion doesn't matter anymore and that they can't talk about these things. Of course you can. It just means sometimes you're going to say stupid shit because you don't know what it's like to be that person. Mm-hmm. And if you want to become a better person, you have to do like what we're doing, stumble our way forward. I don't know how to talk about, um, I don't know how to talk verbally. Well, obviously, I don't know how to talk verbally if I say that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to talk um, effectively. effectively about transitioning. I don't know what words are appropriate to use and what might be um, subtly offensive that I'm unaware of. But the way I learned it like is the, by the best, saying them.
1: Yeah, the best we can do is just to uh, acknowledge that we're stumbling.
0: And I think it's really important we all remember intent, you know, am I intending to offend anybody? No. So if you get offended by it, that's on you because I didn't intend it. And I think that there's a certain ownership that we've all lost. I know who I am. I'm, I'm confident in who I am. If people mistake things that I say to think that I'm sexist or that, you know, if people, have, I've had people who listen to Random Badassery think that I am on the far right, that I'm a Republican. I'm not, Mm -hmm. but I've stood up for certain principles because I do think, like you said, you know, like you talk to people on the right. Some of the things that they believe, um, you know, like uh, the whole coddling of the American mind, which is written by two leftist professors. But it confirms a fear that the right has said for a long time that college campuses are unbalanced um, towards one side. So I can say things like that, but then it automatically that associates me with that team. It's like, right. when, when did we become teams?
1: No, just just admitting that like you don't know how you feel about something kind of puts you on a team. Right. Well, I feel like well,
0: I've always wanted to hear a politician who got up and asked the question and say,
1: you know what, I don't know.
0: You know, like anybody running for president that says, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this. To some degree, they're bullshitting. Why? Because they don't know what that job is. They don't, there's things that they don't know until they get into that office. You know my, my example is always Obama's um, intention to close down Guantanamo. He wanted to close down Guantanamo. That's what he wanted to do. He became president, and then he found out, not feasible.
1: So there's a certain that's what we're all doing all day, I think, posturing. We're all realizing we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: I feel like the older I get, the definitely the more I believe that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Every time I have one of these conversations, it's clear that I have no idea what I'm talking about most of the time. Ah, <laughs> uh, all right, so at the end, I like to always ask people what book they should read what book they think I should read next, so um this should be interesting because you and I have very similar tastes in books usually
1: um I didn't finish it just like almost all the books I own. I didn't, <laughs> I just can never set the time to do it. But um, there was one called who owns the future. And it kind of touched on a lot on social media and the idea of a uh, universal income and just where advertising is taking us. And uh, I think that's a really interesting one to get into.
0: That totally fits in the vein where I am too.
1: Yeah. I've been, of course I read all about like, you know, Trump-related books like Russian Roulette and uh, Bob Woodward's Fear. That's kind of what I've been a- obsessing on, and up until like a month ago, I'm kind of making a conscious effort to pay less attention.
0: Yeah, there's there's a certain point where you're feeding you're feeding something inside of yourself that just is detrimental to your own health.
1: Yeah, I mean, I woke up every day addicted to this feeling. Of, oh, what happened now? Like, what am I going to be all pissed off about?
0: Right, like a soap opera, right? Got to watch the next episode.
1: Yeah, I mean, when when I'm asked by friends who are not paying super close attention, like, what's going on with this Trump-Russia thing? It's almost like if you walked in on, like, you know, season three, episode six of Game of Thrones and asked me what's going on, it's like, (laughs) you got to watch it.
0: And also, to a certain degree, it's also like uh, Twin Peaks. Like, okay, are we ever going to find out who killed Laura Palmer?
1: Please, (laughs) I hope we do. Well, we know
0: right all right well i think now it would be really important since people listen to us yammer on for almost two hours tell everybody who you are um plug whatever you want your social medias your websites your albums whatever you want my friend
1: well i'm eric victorino on everything like i don't use usernames it's always just my name and uh Finally, reactivated uh, the limousines and Strata, my bands. Uh, I have two books, Coma Therapy and Trading Shadows for Sunshine or Trading Sunshine for Shadows. There's two versions of it. And uh, I have a new book called The Signal Fire that I'm working on. But just as we discussed, there's a lot of stuff that I start to write about and then I throw it away because I'm scared of the world.
0: That's terrifying. Yeah.
1: (laughs) How do we make stuff? I don't know.
0: Make stuff under a blanket. That's why That's why I've just stopped reading social media. I'm creating my own tunnel. You know, people want to get pissed off. I won't even know
1: it. Yeah. Uh, making art in the car, you know, so you have your own little world in there.
0: You know, one of the best ways to support a podcast is to go over to the podcast app that you're using, especially if it is Apple Podcasts, and take five minutes to sit down and rate and review the show. Just give it a star rating, give it a paragraph letting people know what value you get out of the show, because that's how we communicate to the world what this show is about if they haven't listened to it before, and it's also how we communicate to guests or possible guests what the show that is inviting them on is about and what people think of it. So please take the time to rate and review us.